Okay. Again, good evening, everybody. All right, we are in Genesis chapter 29. If you look on your mobile phones, uh, the passage is there for you, and at the bottom are the four points we're going to be thinking about tonight. So I'm going to pray, and then straight away we're going to get into it. So let me pray. Father, we are honest. We don't know where this is going, and we don't know what you have in mind. But there are things we do know. We know that you are good, that you are generous and kind. We also know that you have a vested interest in Jesus Christ being promoted. And that's what we exist for. To show your truth and your love in Jesus Christ from all of Scripture. And so we pray that you will have a thought for us. That you will lead and guide us. And the good people sitting here. That you, O oh God, will help us to make wise decisions. And we ask this, uh, and I forgot to ask, will you help us to understand this passage tonight? In Jesus' name. Amen. Genesis chapter 29. We are doing narrative. We're studying the life of Jacob. And when you do narrative, the passage is quite long. Not like if we were studying an epistle, Ephesians, where we wouldn't have really one or two verses. So when you see the long passage, don't panic. I'm not going to read it tonight because we'll go through it as we go. Okay, so I'm not going to read it, but it is there in front of you. Now I want to begin with this thought to get your juices going. Isn't addiction a strange phenomenon? Now, uh, for some of you that, that might jar because you've had addiction in your family. Or maybe you, you, you've suffered from addiction. I've certainly had it in my family. But addiction is one of the strangest diseases. It, it really, it, there have been so many studies on addiction. Uh, it, it, what, what I find so startling is that addiction is a disease of desire, if you think about it. Your desires are diseased or ill or whatever. And so you can't stop desiring something. You can't stop wanting something. You can't stop. You must have this thing. Your desires consume you absolutely consume you is it psychological is it chemical is it in your genes or is it a combination and and they're still trying to work these things out no, no one knows for sure and i don't know but addiction is when you are a slave to your desires they rule over you and it's the strangest slavery in the world here's why because you're a willing captive. That, that's what makes it so strange. You are not being held against your will. It is your will that enslaves you. This, this is why it's so weird and it's so strange. And so an addict will say something like this. I can stop anytime I want to. But I don't want to. 
Can you see it's your wants that have enslaved you? I want this. I crave this. I desire this. I will put myself through hell to get what I want. And how do you become free of it? And, and that's another whole discussion. When do we... When do we, there's a beautiful line in Luke 15. Do you remember the prodigal son when he ended up living like an animal, eating with the pigs? And there's a beautiful line where it says, he came to himself and he went back. When do we become free? When do we become back to ourselves? When are we no longer in slavery? Who gets to decide when we hit rock bottom? These are very difficult questions. Buddhism is a religion built on this concept. The whole uh, of Buddhism was founded by Siddhartha Gautama, and he came to the realization that suffering is a result of desire. So what's the solution? Get rid of all desire. If you can get rid of all desire, you'll never suffer again. That's the insight of the Buddha. And uh, I just question whether that's possible. Can you ever be a human being and not have desires? Listen to this. I really want not to have any wants. It's the same for the Buddhist. It, it doesn't make sense. I'd really like to get to the point where I don't desire anything. What do you desire? To get to the point where I don't desire anything. Can you be a human being and not have desires? I could prove it to you. If I said to you all in this room, hold your breath. All of you would desire air more than anything else in the world. You can't be a human being without desires. I think someone programmed us to have desires. So how do we get free? Here's how we get free. Imagine if you desired something that desired you better. Imagine if you really wanted something that wanted you back. What happens if that person loved you, loved you more than you love yourself? The only way to be free is to desire God above everything. That's how to be free. And that's why you have desires, because he programmed you with desires so that you would seek him and find him. What's this got to do with Genesis 29? We are going to watch a young man fight with desires. We're studying the life of Jacob, and we're seeing a young man driven by desire, which don't have a go at Jacob, you know, all young men go through this, you know. But we're watching him as he fights with his desires. He's so consumed with his desires. Let me help you. He grew up in a family where his dad didn't think much of him. And so he desired so badly to be the better son. So badly that he cheated his brother out of his birthright. His desires drove him to cheat his brother. He so desired his father to bless him. Do you know what he did? He lied to his old man. He deceived his dad. When he was old and nearly blind, that's not cool. 
because he was driven by a desire. And we saw last week he's on his way because his mother said to him, go find a wife over there. So off he goes. Here is a man who's hungry. He's trying to find the world that will satisfy his heart. He hasn't yet learned to desire God. He's met God. Do you remember last week? He met God. But he hasn't learned yet to love God. And we're going to watch this. So let's go through it. Now we've got four things about desire tonight. And uh, we're going to look at all four as we go through the passage. Because you're going to see four people for whom desire is a huge thing. And we're going to see how it helps us understand ourselves. So watch Genesis 29 from verse 1. Then Jacob went on his journey. Now, uh, this is a strange phrase in the Hebrew. It's actually not used anywhere else. It literally says, and Jacob picked up his feet and went. And, and there's a lot of discussion. What does that actually mean? Well, actually, I think it's obvious. There was a new spring in his step. Why? Because last week he met God. Do you remember? And when he met God, what did God say to him? I'm going to give you money. I'm going to give you this land. I'm going to give you offspring. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to look. So Jacob's thinking, I've just won the lottery. He's a young guy, and the whole world is his oyster. And so off he's got a spring in his step. And he's going, look at verse 1, to the land of the people of the east. I don't have time, but that's actually a very, I hate this phrase, but it, it's a pregnant phrase. It's got a lot of meaning in it. Because in the Bible, East is, is well, it's really where the unbelievers live. Even the temp, oh, look, I don't have time, but there you go. He's going to, the, you can ask me after, to the people of the East. Now watch. As he looked, he saw a well in the field, and behold, three flocks of sheep lying beside it. For out of that well the flocks were watered. The stone on the well's mouth was large. And when all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherd would roll the stone from the mouth of the well and water the sheep and put the stone back in its place over the mouth of the well. Easy as. Verse 4, Jacob said to them, my brothers, where do you come from? And they said, we are from Haran. And we spoke about Haran last week. And he said to them, do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? They said, we know him. Now you remember his mum? told him to go to her brother. And that's him. That's um, Laban. And they said, we know him. And he said to them, is it well with him? And they said, it is well. Oh, look, see, Rachel, his daughter, is coming with the sheep. He said to them, behold, it is still high day. It's not time for the livestock to be gathered together. Order the sheep and go past to them. Now, I don't know what that means. Why doesn't he, why does he want them to leave? They're at the well. I don't know. Maybe he's spotted Rachel. I don't know. I, I honestly don't know. But he's saying to them, you don't have to hang around here. Off you go. It's kind of like, you know, freezer crowd, you know. But anyway, whatever. But they said, we cannot until all the flocks are gathered together and the stone is rolled from the mouth of the well, then we water the sheep. So the people in the area had a custom. We don't roll the stone away till everyone's together. 
maybe because some will steal more water, it's not fair, it's a communal well, we like it. I don't know. But the custom is we don't take the stone away until everyone is together. Okay, watch this. While he was still speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. Now, as soon as Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, Jacob came here, rolled the stone from the mouse well, and watered the flock of his mother's brother. Wow. Jacob can lie. Jacob can deceive. Jacob, but you know what he can also do? He can just break social conventions because he's driven by passion and desire. And he has spotted Rachel coming closer, driving her father's sheep. It's like you're at Malalu, and yet she comes driving her dad's Ferrari. <laughs> you know, it's the same thing, because he's looking up and going, yo, that's a lot of sheep. <laughs> he's thinking, well, and that's the shepherdess, you know, for me. Um, can I be one of your sheep? No, stop it. Um, the point being is that he, he sees, man, and he's got desires. And you're going to see, she's pretty. And there's heaps of sheep there. So he's driven. And so he breaks conventions, rolls the stone. Now, now, I've read some people say that Jacob must have been big and, you know, and they couldn't do it because the stone was heavy. I don't see that. I don't. Jacob's not uh, Marvel. He's not, he must have been a strong guy because you'll see later on he wrestles with God through the night. So I reckon he's pretty, and they don't try and stop him, so he's pretty staunch. But I don't think that's what it is. What it is, is he's driven by passion and desire. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and wept aloud. And Jacob told Rachel that it was her father's kinsman, that he was Rebekah's son. And she ran and told her father. Watch this. As soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he ran to meet him. Why is he so happy? He doesn't know this guy. He's never met this guy. But he runs to meet him and hugs him and kisses him and brings him into his house. What's going on? What's going on? Here's what's going on. For those of you who know, if you go back to Genesis 24, this has happened before. Laban was there when Abraham sent a servant to the same well, probably, to get a wife for Isaac. But when the servant came, do you know what he had? He had camels and gold. And he took Rebekah and he put a gold ring in her nose and gold earrings. He came with cash. And Laban thinks, this is awesome, it's happening again. You'll see. Laban desires money. He's driven. You're going to see. He's driven by a desire for money. You'll see. And so he thinks, Jacob, my mate, my homie. He's never seen him before. Come on in. Because he thinks he's going to score. Watch. And he's, Laban says to him, surely you are bone, my bone and my flesh. And he stayed with him a month, but there ain't no money. 
So watch what Laban does. Then Laban says to Jacob, because you are my kinsman, should you serve me for nothing? That's so generous, don't you think? Tell me what your wages should be. Now hold on, everybody. Why did it take a month? Jacob was supposed to go home already. Do you remember when Abraham's servant got a wife for Isaac, Rebecca? He came, he paid the money, he took the girl, and off they went. Jacob's been there a month. And now Laban says to him, dude, why don't you work for me? In other words, Laban is trapping Jacob. He's holding him back. Why? And then look what he says. Tell me, what shall your wages be? Is that how you treat family? He's supposed to say, you're my family. Why are you here? Well, you all know that, look in verse 13, Jacob told Laban everything. So Jacob must have said, my mom sent me here to get a wife. And Laban says, why don't you work for me for money? In other words, here is someone who's driven by desire for money. He'll go so far, as you're going to see, to even exploit his daughters. Verse 16, now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and face. You know, she got it all. She's got the body, she's got got it all. Beautiful in form and appearance. Now the idea that Leah's eyes were weak, I've read lots. I just think it's an idiomatic expression. Some people say, oh, she was squint, or oh, she, you know, was blind. Or I don't think you need to be literalistic. It just means she wasn't pretty. And, and you know, they didn't want to say, well, she's ugly. She's just got weak eyes. You know, it's an idiom. You know, you want to be nice about these things, you know. You know, she models helmets or something like that. You, you want to say it gently. Okay, so Leah is not pretty. But Rachel's beautiful. Now, what do you think a young man driven by desires who doesn't love God? God is not his first desire yet. Which one do you think a young man's going to go for? What's he living by? He's living by his eyes. So which one's he going to go for? Well, it's obvious. So watch what happens. Jacob loved Rachel. Did Jacob love Rachel? We don't know. She was beautiful. This is what the world does. What is is desire? What is lust? Lust is when you love and experience. And anyone will do. Because you're after the experience. And the prettier, the better the experience. Love is when you love a person, not an experience. And Jacob is driven by his desires. And so look what he says. I'll I'll show you. This guy's nuts. And he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. Okay, everybody, you don't know. I mean, what, what? Well, if you read the literature, that's pretty much four times what you would normally 
pay for a dowry. It's astronomical. He, this guy is like, he, he's not eating. He's not sleeping. This man is going mad. And he will work seven years to get Rachel. What are we learning? And it's there in your notes. You've got four points. Jacob's desires led him into servitude. When you are driven by desires, you will become a slave to your desires. You think you're free, but your desires have got you. And Jacob's desires have led him into servitude. He can't, you all know Jacob is experienced in deceit. And he can't even see that he's being spun a line here. I'll show it to you. Because he's blinded by his desires. Seven years I'll work for your younger daughter Rachel. Now watch Laban. Laban said, it is better that I give her to you than that I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. Did everyone see, is there any lawyers here? We'd rather you weren't here, but you know, we'll take anyone. <laughs> any lawyers here? Look closely at the language. A lawyer will spot it straight away. It's better that I give her. Who? It's deliberately vague. He's concocting a little plan. Oh, no, it's better that I give her to you. Her, which, can I have that in writing? Are you talking about Rachel or are you talking about Lee? But Jacob, who is a deceiver, so he's got the brains. He's so smitten with desire. He can't see that he's being led into a trap. And so watch what he does. It's better that I give her to you than I give her to another man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel. I don't know if you remember. Isaac got his wife in a couple of weeks. Jacob's smitten by desire, and so he's become a slave. And look what happens. <laughs> and they seem to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. You know, he went out whistling to work every day. Watch how the desire gets hold of him. Then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife that I may go into her. For my time is completed. I would like to challenge any young man here today to talk to your future father-in-law like that. <laughs> Imagine, you know, well, I'm not even, you know, you don't go down on, you don't go, you know, take him for a beer and a round of golf and, and you know, borrow your mate's smart car and he thinks it's yours and, you know, and then you say, yeah, Mr. Smith, you know, I love your daughter, and, you know, I mean, that, that's understandable, but which one of you are going to say, Mr. Smith, I'd really like to have sex with your daughter. Is that okay? You know? And that's what he says. My time's come. Give it to me. Never mind the wedding. I just want to, you know, do the, the deed. So Laban, watch this, gathers together all the people of the place, and he makes a feast. But in the evening, he took his daughter Leah, brought her to Jacob, and he went into her. And brackets, Laban did give his female servant Zilpah to his daughter Leah to be her servant. How can you fall in something like that? Unless you've had a couple, a lot. And also in those days they wore, you know. But, but look at Laban. He's so driven 
by gain. He's got this guy as a slave. Guess what he does? He's willing to disappoint his daughters. So picture Rachel. She's had her hair done. I mean, it's her wedding. Do you know how much she spent on her hair? She's gone dress shopping with her friends. You know, she's book-faced all her school and said, I'm getting married and yay, be happy for me. And, you know, you think I'm making this up. You'll see in, when, next week where Rachel, she's got desires. What is Rachel's desires? She just wants children. You'll see later next week that she'd rather die than not have children. But that's next week. But she's driven. Uh, she's got this wedding and she's picked the songs and she's done her hair. And on the night, after they've cut the cake and they're going up to the fifth floor of the five-star hotel at Crown or whatever, and suddenly her brothers grab her, pull her out, slip her in. Can you imagine what this must have done to Rachel? I don't know about you, but you're starting to feel like an object. Am I being used here? Like, yeah. And that's the third point. Rachel's desirability led people to exploit her. And this is a huge thing in our society. It's just, you've got Jacob. Desire makes him blind and leads to his capture and slavery. You've got Laban, whose desire for money and wealth and free labor for seven years, he's willing to trade his own daughters. We know this. There are businessmen who don't see their daughters today, birth, don't see their kids, because they're driven by money. Never mind what the girls want. I'm working, you know. And then you've got the beautiful people who are exploited because they're desirable. And we know this in our society to be so true. Maybe you don't. Look, there are three of us here tonight who are good looking. So we understand. But a lot of you wouldn't. But being gorgeous in a fallen world is not a gift. It's a test. And you are constantly being taken advantage of. Your desirability leads you to be exploited. And that's what happened to Rachel. So watch what happens. In the morning, <laughs> uh, you know, <clears throat> and in the morning, behold, it was Leah. You, you, verse 25, the disappointment. How many young guys wake up thinking, you know, that after six beers, that was prettier than it, than it is now, you know. Um, that's what young people do, driven by desire. And it's Leah. Now, we need to stop here. In the morning, now that I'm sober, I'm not saying he was, I don't know, but it's not as good as I thought it would be. This is, in the words of C.S. Lewis, this is cosmic disappointment. It's what happens to all of us. When you desire something more than God, you will always be disappointed. In the morning, 
It's going to be Leah. I promise. Every time. For all of us. When you finally, you've sacrificed your health. You've ignored your kids. You've stood in on everyone at work. You've cheated on your taxes. You've hustled and uh, you've lost friends everywhere. And you get the Ferrari. In the morning, it's a Toyota. Well, no, it's still a Ferrari. But it's not as nice as you thought it would be. And after three years, actually, you stop washing it. And after five years, the dog has scratched the seat. The daughter spilt a, a frozen Coke at Macca's all over the floor. And you know what? It's just not as nice as you thought it was going to be. Got used to it. In the morning, it's always Leah. It's the cosmic disappointment when you love something more than God. It's always disappointing. And so Jacob, look at this. Uh, don't you love the way we can never judge ourselves? And Jacob said to Laban, <laughs> what is this you've done to me? That is a very important sentence. That's what God said to Eve. What have you done? It's the language of being cheated. Or it's, it's the language when um, Pharaoh said to Abraham, what have you done? When Abraham lied about his wife Sarah. It's the language of Ahimelech, the Philistine king, to Isaac. What is this you've done? It's the language of God to you and me. What have you done? You've loved something more than me. What is this you've done to me? Did I not serve with you for Rachel? Now, here comes everybody. <laughs> What's the favorite thing to say about Christians? Hypocrite. Why then have you deceived me? Isn't it astonishing? That's exactly what Jacob did to his brother and to his father. Which just shows God's laws are written in our hearts. Have you ever met a thief who doesn't mind when people steal from him? Because that's, you know, it's in our hearts. Can't get rid of it. So the deceiver gets deceived. He don't like it. Laban said, listen to this. This guy's smart. It's not so done in our country <laughs> to give the younger before the firstborn. What's he doing? He's playing on Jacob's Conscience. Dude, we don't give the younger back because that's what Jacob's done back in his country. He's the second born and he's usurped the first born. So he's playing with his conscience. But Laban always had a plan. He knew what he was going to do. Complete this week, uh, sorry, complete the week of this one. So that's some kind of ancient Middle East. Um, week of whatever, you know, I assume. And we will give you the other also in return for serving me another seven years. Jacob's desires got him into servitude for 14 years. Laban's desire for money made him play his daughters like pawns. 
so that he could get free labor for 14 years. And Rachel's desirability just made her get exploited. And so Jacob did so and completed her week, verse 28. Then Laban gave his daughter Rachel to be his wife at last. Laban gave his female servant Bilhah to his daughter Rachel to be his servant. So Jacob went into Rachel also. And uh, like Shrek, they lived happily ever after. No, because it's always Leah in the morning. When you start reading the rest of Genesis, it's a misery. Rachel's not happy because she can't have kids. Leah's having all these children and she's not loved. And Jacob's like, how am I going to choose between you guys? You never stop fighting. Then they start giving their maids. And it's just horrible. Because nowhere did God say you're supposed to marry two wives. Why are you even doing this? Who said you could have two wives? By the way, the Bible is very clever. It just reports these things. But in the beginning, if you go to Genesis chapter 1, it was meant to be male and female. These guys are way off course. Way off course. Verse 30. So Jacob went into Rachel also. He loved Rachel more than Leah. And he served for another seven years. And trust me, they didn't feel like a few days. <laughs> and we'll get to that. Let's start wrapping it up. What does this mean for us in Perth? That's a fun story, Dwayne. How does this affect us? Let me help you. Jacob's desires led him into slavery. The warning for us is that if you love anything more than God, you're heading towards slavery. You, you don't believe me because you're young. But you'll believe me when you're 94, you'll see. Here's what I want to show you. This is the beginning of a story that carries on. I wonder if you noticed. Isaac sent a servant to a well to find a woman from foreigners, people of the East, and bring her back into the family. Jacob goes to a well to find a woman from foreigners to bring her back into the family. But because of his desires, he gets trapped and everything. In John chapter 4, Jesus goes to a well. But here's the thing. Dwayne, you're making this. No, no. If you read John 4, he goes to Jacob's well. And when Jesus goes to a well, he finds a foreign woman, the Samaritan woman. But it is completely different. Here is Jesus Christ going to look for a woman, but with absolutely no exploitation. In fact, why is Jesus on earth? What's he doing down here anyway? He has come to look for the woman, the church, his bride. He's come all the way down to earth to find the women that he does desire, the church, his bride. 
But the astonishing thing is Jacob is willing to work for seven years. Jesus did his father's work as well. And it wasn't seven years. He went and hung on the cross to win his bride, the church. This story carries on to its ultimate conclusion, where we see one of Jacob's descendants, Jesus, who comes to find his bride, who loves his bride so much he will lay down his life for her. Laban's desires gets him to exploit his children for money, for gain. Jesus Christ is so much better than this. What do you love? Genuine question. What do you love that will love you like God loves you? Let me show you how. Jesus Christ, unlike Laban, was rich. He left all his father's riches behind and he became poor so that he could make us rich. He came not to gain, but to give and make us rich. Poor old Rachel, so pretty. It's been, it's been you know, you should ask me, it's been tough. Rachel's desirableness led her to be exploited, objectified. Here's why I'll tell you Jesus is so amazing. Jesus only goes for ugly people. You and me. The astonishing thing, I'll get it soon. The astonishing thing about Jesus is that he loved us when we were sinners. What's so bad about religion? Religion says make yourself pretty for God. Put your makeup on. Do good deeds. Jesus loved us when we were ugly. We didn't have makeup. We, had, we woke up, you know, we had morning hair. Jesus loves us. Not because we're pretty. Jesus loved us to make us Jesus went for Leah because he loves a person, not an experience. And that's the last person that we can look at tonight, and that's Leah. Look at those last two verses. In this whole chapter, ain't nobody talking to God. Ain't no one cared about God. You don't even see the Lord's name. You know, it's just like, well, you know, God's gone. He's, we left God behind in chapter 28. Except for one person, the undesirable girl. Look what happens. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, she wasn't hated. That's a Hebrew word of comparison, saying compared to the love which Jacob had for Rachel, she was hated. You get what I'm saying? It's a comparative word. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. And Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben. For she said, at last, someone thought of God. And not just God. Because the Lord has looked on my affliction. Now my husband will love me. Now I've stolen a little bit because I haven't proved it. If you read a bit further, she doesn't stop calling on the Lord. 
Leah's undesirableness led her to call on the Lord. This is biblical Christianity. Is that God loves the undesirable. You know, no offense, but you look, well, I can't see because I've got my glasses on and they're for reading, but even if I could see, you're not that pretty. Isn't it amazing how God draws ordinary people to himself? Because God is like that. He loves the outcast. He loves the undesirable. He loves those who no one else loves. What is freedom? I suggest to you, freedom is when you love God more than anything else. Because here is a love that will love you back. It's a desire that will never damage you. It's a love that won't enslave you. And once you desire God above all things, then you can go serving. What I mean to say is that you can desire other things. And that's why she says, the Lord has heard me, now my husband will love me. And she's wrong about that. But we'll do that next time. Well, there you go. Why don't we pray? And then I'm happy to take a few questions if there are any. Wait, I need to switch off the recorder.